If you haven't already, if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, be on page 978 if you're using a Bible in front of your chair. If you also want to just um, stick a piece of paper or something in the book of John, we're going to be in John as well. Um, If you want to look at around John 14. But in our series, we've looked at the authority of the scriptures. We've looked at who God is in his self-declaration that he is a covenant-keeping God. Last week, my brother Ben talked about who Jesus is, the fulfillment of of what God declares in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. How can God be both merciful and gracious and just at the same time? It meets at the cross where his faithfulness And his justice come together. But now we're going to come to this third person in what is known as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and now God the Holy Spirit. As we look at the Holy Spirit, there's been no lack of confusion in our day and age regarding the Holy Spirit who He is, what He does. In fact, I like what Oswald Chambers, he says, the Spirit is the first power we practically experience, but the last power we come to understand. Many people say a lot of things happen in the name of the Holy Spirit. In fact, someone can say the Holy Spirit gave me a word, but yet many times that word completely contradicts Scripture. And it's not Scripture that's at error at that point. We can say a lot of things about the Holy Spirit, and a lot of people have. But while our understanding seems to many times be limited regarding the Holy Spirit, and really that's the case with, with God the Father, God the Son, every, uh, all of the Godhead, the Trinity, our, our, our minds are limited because of God's greatness. But one thing we are completely sure of, and we can be completely sure of, is that the absence of his power, the absence of his presence, is undeniable, both in the life of an individual and in the life of the church. We may not completely understand everything when it comes to the Holy Spirit, But man, one thing you can't mistake is when the Holy Spirit, His power, His presence is not evident. Because where there is a lack of His power, His presence, there is a deadness. And today we want to set out to understand, though we're only taking one week on this and we can't talk about everything, we want to begin to understand who the Holy Spirit is. What is it that the Holy Spirit does, and how are we to live in light of His working in our lives? And believe it or not, we're going to do all of this with the foundation of a single verse. Even though we're going to look and reference other scriptures this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 4.30 this morning. 
Because we're going to see from this one verse the reality of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the function of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to be able to gauge how we are to live in response to the Holy Spirit. All of that in Ephesians 4.30. And as has been our theme throughout this series, let's say this together. God's people are called, you don't need the overhead, you know this. God's people are called to both and know and live. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we look at the person of the Holy Spirit, Father, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that you would give us a renewed understanding of the role, the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, that you would give us a zeal to know our great dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. Father, that it is not just God with us, it is God in us. Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, that the Holy Spirit himself would would speak to our hearts, that we would see the wondrous truths from your word regarding who you are. And Lord, as we take the bread, we take the juice this morning, Father, as we commune with your Son through the elements of the table, Father, may you Encourage us to live a life purposefully, worthily of what you have done for us. Father, to to be awake, Lord, for the time has been far spent. To be seeking to make a difference for you in our church, in our families, in our communities, in our world. Father, would you minister to us, would you speak to us from the pages of Scripture, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin this morning by looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's read Ephesians 4.30 together. And this is in the context of Paul's instructions to this Ephesian church, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And again, in this verse, we're going to be looking at the reality of the Holy Spirit, the function of the Holy Spirit, and our living in response to the Holy Spirit from this verse. But we first of all need to see the person of the Holy Spirit. It's very clear here, the Holy Spirit of God being mentioned. So who is this Holy Spirit? And we have to first of all realize that the Holy Spirit is God. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, like the other members of the Trinity or the Godhead, is eternal. In fact, in Hebrews 9 talking about the the greater sacrifice that Jesus was as opposed to the Old Testament sacrifices, it says this, 
how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God. The Holy Spirit is eternal. No beginning, no ending. Not only is He eternal, but the Holy Spirit is divine. In other words, He is equal with every other member of the Trinity. And for instance, you see in Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus, he he tells the disciples to go into all the world to be his witnesses. He doesn't level the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit on different tiers, that one is greater than the other. No, he says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The idea of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not just that you, you just make a, a statement, I baptize you in the name, uh, though we do do that. It's talking, though, about the authority With, inherent within a name in the biblical context is who that person is, the authority that they have. So we are to go about making disciples and baptizing them under the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see here this, this teaching of the Bible that makes our heads spin, but yet the Bible teaches that there is one God, yet there are three distinct persons of the Godhead. God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we baptize believers in the authority. In other words, it's not the idea that that anything is happening because we're baptizing this person, but we have been commissioned by God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To proclaim this message of the gospel, which they have accomplished. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And we are in obedience following through under the authority of what God has done. That is the significance, the authority by which we baptize. If you here are, are here today and you are a believer and have never been baptized, that is uncharacteristic of anything we read of in the New Testament. The New Testament assumes that if you are a believer, a true believer, you will be baptized. The, the, the very fact of the Holy Spirit within you should be propelling you of the need to publicly identify with Christ. So we see that we baptize because of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But not only is He eternal, not only is He divine, there, there's no tears between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but He is also a distinct person, as we've just said. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not just a power of God. The Holy Spirit is not just God and a manifestation of God's actions in history. Or in our lives. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. 
in the Trinity. A distinct person from the Father and the Son. I mean, we see this in Ephesians 4.30, that while you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit grouped together, you also see them individually mentioned throughout the New Testament. Here in Ephesians 4.30, the command is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We see that, that the Holy Spirit Himself can exercise emotions. In verse 30, He can be grieved just like an individual person. In Luke 1.41, that verse isn't on the overhead, but it's, it talks about the fact that those who turn from the faith, it says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit can be angered. In Luke 1.41, talks about John the Baptist when Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, uh, John the Baptist is in her womb. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice greeting her, it says, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see the Holy Spirit causing this joy. So the Holy Spirit is not just some random kind of smoky force that we can't understand in the sense that, what is it? No, the Holy Spirit is a distinct person within the Godhead. He has a will. He has emotions. And He works in this world and in our lives. So when you hear about Star Wars, may the force be with you. Please don't think of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's just a broad overview of, of who the Holy Spirit is in, in relation to the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, but yet He is also a distinct person in the Godhead. How do we explain that? Man, we cannot wrap our minds around that because we have finite minds. In fact, in our discipleship group this past week, we were talking about this. Uh, there is no earthly illustration that completely describes this. You've probably heard of the illustration of the triangle, that a triangle, it's one triangle, but there's three sides to the triangle. What's wrong with that illustration? That illustration can be helpful, but yet it also, just as long as you realize it falls short of what the Bible describes. Because if it was to be accurate, every single line of that triangle, if you, if you separate those lines, they're no longer a triangle, are they? They're just a straight line. In order for that to be a biblical picture of the Trinity, every single line pulled apart would still be a complete triangle. Same thing with an egg. You've heard the shell, the white of an egg, of a hard-boiled egg, and then the yellow yolk. What's wrong with that? The shell in and of itself is not a complete egg, nor is the white, nor is the yellow. So those are helpful, but not really accurate completely. So as you teach your, your uh, Sunday school children that, teachers, or your adult 
students just tell them that this is helpful to think of, but it's not completely accurate. That's free. Secondly, we're not only going to look at the Holy Spirit being God, but we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit functions. How does the Holy Spirit function? We see several ways that the Holy Spirit is at work. First of all, we see the Holy Spirit at work in the very plan of redemption. The Bible shows us that it is God the Father who sends. It is God the Son who is sent and who willingly goes and gives his life for his people. And we see in the Scripture that it is the Holy Spirit who empowers. He empowered Jesus during his earthly ministry to carry out the acts of God. And it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us as we are his people. The Holy Spirit is at work in the plan of redemption. Every single uh, person in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, had a unique function in the work of our redemption. Even today, we see that, that, it is, that God the Son, He is interceding for us. God the Holy Spirit, He is, as we will see, the seal of our inheritance. We also see the function of the Holy Spirit in His work of revelation. This is where we're going to turn to John chapter 16. Keep your finger in Ephesians 4. In John chapter 16, that's on page 902 if you're using a a Bible that's been provided for you. It says this, Jesus says, When He comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In verse 8 it says, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. In other words, has the idea that he will show the world how they are guilty before God. Revealing the truth of who Jesus is. He will convict, He will show the world is guilty because of their sin, their rejection of Jesus. He will show the world that they are guilty before God because of righteousness. Jesus uh, showed His righteousness on the cross and is now with the Father in concerning judgment because left in unbelief, not only is the ruler, Satan, of this world judged, but because those that have rejected Him are judged as well. We see the work of revelation there. You know, when when you and I share our faith, as we've talked about before, it is not up to you and I to convince someone that what the Bible says is true. It's not up to how, how, how great our tactics can be and our arguments can be and our approaches can be in order to convince one. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. That is what enables us with confidence to declare our faith. 
Because we rely on the Holy Spirit to do the work in the heart. We are simply the messengers. Maybe there's an individual in your life that today that you are seeking to lead to Christ and you need to, to change focus and say, Lord, it is not up to me. It is up to your working. Would you help me to be ready and available but not to be depending on me to bring in the results? The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals truth to individuals. But also we see the work of the Holy Spirit that He gives divine enablement to His people. Again, if you're in John, if you just look over a few pages to John chapter 14, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to leave this earth. He comforts the disciples that it is good for Him to go away. And in verse 15, notice what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jump down to verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Helper whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, the Holy Spirit within us, what does He do? He directs our hearts and our minds to Jesus. As we read the pages of Scriptures, He instructs our hearts. He gives us that desire to look to Jesus to find our hope. And even with the spiritual gifts, and we don't have time this morning to get into the spiritual gifts, but even with the spiritual gifts that Jesus has bestowed upon his people, we are to build up the body with those gifts. How? By pointing others to Jesus. See, so many times in churches today, spiritual gifts are looked upon as badges 
You know, we get badges for things we do. Maybe if you're uh, a child, you're in a club or a group, you get a badge for things. And many times we think, oh, I have this badge because God has wired me this way or God has equipped me with this gift. And, and, And that's what's happening in 1 Corinthians with the church. And Paul writes and he says, you are to be edifying the church with your gifts, not yourself. So many times in Christian circles, there is this talk of spiritual gifts as if there's something to attain to, and it totally takes our focus off of Jesus and Him and puts our minds on the Holy Spirit. I like what one individual once said, the Holy Spirit is shy. The Holy Spirit redirects attention off of Himself and puts it on the person of Jesus. That is the divine enablement that he gives us to carry out the work of Christ and to point our hearts to Christ as we seek to live as his ambassadors, as exiles in this world. But yet how frequently are we depending on the enablement of self? Well, you know what? I just got to get up and I got to grin it, and I got to bear it, and I'll just go through the motions. Man, every day we're belittling the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we think that it's all up to us. It's not up to us. As Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So we see in a broad overview the person of the Holy Spirit. He is indeed God, and He is indeed functioning in these specific ways. But I want to secondly point your attention to the assurance that the Holy Spirit brings us. And we're going to run back to Ephesians 4.30. And notice that the text says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what is it that naturally and and, and rightly should grab our attention in that verse? It's, It's the main clause in that verse, is it not? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That is being pronounced in that in that verse. But yet we often do not at all focus upon the second half of that verse. It is by the Holy Spirit that we were sealed for a specific day. The day of redemption. Now many times you may have been like me growing up where the Holy Spirit, and by the way, you notice John, uh, the, the, the word uh, for Holy Spirit is translated comforter, helper, one who comes alongside of us. Those are all positive terms. But maybe in your life, through always looking at self and self-enablement and not divine enablement, you Fear the Holy Spirit because you think He's Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder just ready to pounce on you. Anybody ever feel like that? 
And the Holy Spirit does indeed convict our hearts of sin, but maybe we have an imbalance. You see, Ephesians 4 verse 30 points us to the fact that the Holy Spirit is proof of our identity. He's proof of who we are. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And not only that, and you see this back at Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. All of this is our identity because we've been given the Holy Spirit and because of that we are also therefore sealed, Ephesians 4.30 says. We have been sealed. That's a mark of ownership. In other words, if you have the Spirit of God living within you, you are not your own. You have the mark of the authentication of someone greater. I like to think of it this way. Back in the days of the kings, a king would go to send out a royal decree or a royal letter, and what would he do to that letter before it was sent? Because a lot of people could manufacture letters from the kings. He would take wax, it would be rolled up, And he would have a signet ring and put that ring in the wax. That would not only seal that letter from being opened, but it would be a mark that this indeed is an authentic letter from the king. Folks, the Holy Spirit is that to our life. We, because the Holy Spirit indwells us, is a marker that we are His. And we are living in a world where that marker is unique. You also think of a letter that we in our present day would would send out. Unless that letter get lost in the mail, though Gene, that never happens, right? (laughs) Rain, snow, or or sleet, although they weren't out when we had the big snow. What was the deal with that, Gene? Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to pick on you. Um, But anyway, what do we do with our letters? Not only do we, of course, seal the back so it's not open, but our present day, because we're not kings and we don't have that royal ring, what do we do to our letters to authenticate that it is from us? We slap on an address label, do we not? This, if this letter loses itself, please know, male person, that this is my letter. And I have authority of it. This is not to be opened by anyone else except the person that I have given the authority for it to be opened. Folks, the Holy Spirit has sealed us. We are His. He gives us an assurance that we indeed are the sons and the daughters of God. 
Amen? We do not look within simply at our own actions and attitudes and gifts and abilities to try to prove that we are somehow His. We look to the Spirit of God in our life. Is He the one that is manifesting Himself in our life? Like what John Piper says, he says, if the Spirit seals us as a sign of of authenticity, then He is that sign, and it is the Spirit's work in our life which is God's trademark. Our eternal sonship is real and authentic if we have the Spirit. He is the sign of divine reality in our lives. You see, because we have been sealed by His, we are now characterized by His Spirit. And that's why Romans 8 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. There is a difference between those who have the Spirit of God in them and those who do not. It is the difference of being a follower of Jesus and being dead to Jesus. So not only is the Holy Spirit proof of our identity and we look to His work in our lives, but the Holy Spirit is proof of God's ultimate plan for us. Not only have we been sealed or marked with the ownership of God, but we have been sealed for the ultimate destination of the day of redemption, verse 30 tells us. We are sealed or appointed, in other words, for a specific day. And it's not tomorrow with that thing that you may be dreading. Or We have so many individuals dealing with health struggles right now. We have not been appointed just for that. The end of our lives does not mean that. The end of our lives does not mean even the greatest pleasure that we may experience on this earth. No, we are living in light of what we have been sealed to, the day of redemption. No day is greater than that. If you just flip over in your Bibles, you see the very same parallel concept in the opening chapter of Ephesians in verse 13 and 14. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, here we have it again, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? You and I have been given an inheritance in Christ. Similarly, 1 Peter 1, 3-5, a part of that passage says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. And here he explains it. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I think we have that on the overhead. 
So what is our inheritance? It is that which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Our inheritance is the riches of Christ throughout all eternity. We are joint heirs with Jesus. What has Jesus inherited? Romans 13, 14 shows us that it is ultimately through Jesus in which the world is inherited. In other words, the day of our redemption is an eternal living, worshiping, serving fellowship with God and with one another as his saints in the new heaven, the new earth. That is the inheritance that awaits us. No more partings, no more goodbyes, no more sorrows, no more sadness, no more death. But forever perfection. See, we are sealed or appointed for a specific day and through that we understand that all of our hope, all of our security, all of our sense of purpose is to come from this sure destiny. It's not to come from how much money is in the bank account. It is not to come from how I'm doing relationally with everyone. It's not to come through myself and my health or my spouse or my family, my friends, whatever the case may be, it is to come from the understanding of what we have been appointed to, the inheritance that awaits us. That leads us to a third and final point from Ephesians 4.30. That we realize who the Holy Spirit is. He, He is... A person in the Godhead. He is God. We realize what the Holy Spirit is to us. He is our assurance. And then that leads us to live in light of the Holy Spirit. You see, heart, understanding, and knowledge must precede outward living. And it is under this understanding and only under this understanding that we can now come to the beginning of Ephesians 4.30 and look at the warning. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, my goodness, when we realize what the Holy Spirit means to us, why would we want to grieve Him? But because we live in the middle of this tension between... um, God working out our salvation within us and yet we still struggle with that sin. There's that battle. And Paul has to remind the Ephesian believers that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, he can be grieved. Has the idea of emotional pain, sorrow, or turmoil. In fact, this word is used 26 other times in the New Testament And it's always referring to other people having sorrow, being grieved. But here Paul brings out for us, it is also the Holy Spirit that can be grieved. You know, so many times we are fearful of people. Oh, what are people going to think about me? Are they going to be upset with me? Uh, Is this person going to think this of me? And we totally forget. What does the Holy Spirit think? What does he think? feel 
You see, the reality is that this command implies, the reality of this command implies the reality of the offense. So we have to be aware of our grieving of the Holy Spirit. So the question then naturally comes, when do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, what does, what does the passage of Scripture say? Look at verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It's interesting here that these Ephesian believers themselves are Gentiles, but in Christ we are all sons of Abraham, are we not? Those who are Gentiles are those who are outside of Jesus. And he says, don't be walking like those that do not have Jesus. They are walking, it says, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We grieve the Holy Spirit when we have an identity crisis, forget who we are, and start living like those that do not have Christ. But he goes on as you jump to verse 31 and 32, right after this command, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Folks, this is walking as the Gentiles walk. In our priorities, in our passions, in our relationships, are we living as those that do not have the Holy Spirit of God within us? As we come to the table of the Lord, are we being hypocritical because we are living as the Gentiles walk and live? And yet here we are proclaiming our identity in Christ by sharing in the bread and the juice together. Paul said, man, it's for this reason that God has has been sending um, chastisement upon you. In that case, it was through health. But what have we been called to then as God's people who have the Spirit of God working within us? I just want to quickly, as we close, read verses 20 to 29. After he talks about how the Gentiles walk in their hardness of heart, it says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Listen, number one, our calling is we have to realize we cannot walk in step with the Spirit without being tied to the Word of God. It is from the word that we learn about salvation. It is through the word that we see the character and the love and and everything that encompasses God the Father, God the Son. And it is through the word that we are instructed how to live as his saints. But then he goes on, and this is the truth that they have learned and have been taught concerning Jesus 
to put off your old self, verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him rather labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the, to the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Folks, that is walking in light of the Holy Spirit's work. Those are things that only the Holy Spirit can produce. Are we living in light of an old identity or are we living in light of the new? You see, not only can we not walk in step with the Spirit without being tied to His Word, we cannot walk in step with the Spirit without a gospel awareness. Folks, this is a call. Verses 20 to 29 are a call for us to see what we have been given, to see our own inabilities in and of ourselves, and to therefore live in response to an empowering God who calls us to a different way of life, a different calling. We must have a gospel awareness. My complete inability, my complete reliance, my attitude of repentance that I do not have my act together. I look in the mirror of what the scripture says here and see how I go wrong all over the place. Folks, third and finally, we cannot walk in step with the Spirit without a proper orientation. Why? Because the orientation of those that are in this world, the Gentiles, this passage says, is one of immediacy, self-gratification, living for the things of this world, and living for self as number one. What is the orientation of those that are God's people with, with God's spirit dwelling within them? It is living for the day of redemption, realizing our hope is in Jesus and the inheritance that he has provided for us. And because we are his and we have his spirit living within us, verses 20 to 29 is at work within our hearts. Not that we always arrive, not that we're perfect, but because his spirit has given us a different orientation. Have you lost sight of that? in your life today.